So today we're going to do a a brief overview. Can all of you can you see the screen from there? Yeah. Uh, Raghunath Das Goswami's Manashiksha with commentary by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Uh, we've produced a, a new trans... It doesn't need to be quite that dark. Maybe you can put that up. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little dark. Okay, so we've, we've produced a, a new translation of this very important book, and we have, we have only three copies here. Uh, that are available if you'd like to get one at the end of the lecture. Um, they're 20 euros, or you can get them on Amazon also. But we do only have three copies left. Okay. So this work by Raghunath Das Goswami, who lived about 500 years ago and is one of the great teachers of Krishna consciousness, is about how to train our mind to become peaceful by being authentic. And as I said, we have a new translation of the book, which we have some copies available here. So we may often wonder, you know, are people relating with us as we really are? Or are they just relating with some idea of us? To what extent are people dealing with us? To what extent are we really authentic and real in our relationships? Or does it seem like we're trying to deal with other people and the world through a very thick mitten? In order to have authentic relationships, in order to be real with ourselves, with others, and with the world, we have to cut through the layers of pretending to find out who we really are. Unfortunately, many of us are afraid of truth. We say we want truth from our politicians. We say we want truth from our doctors. (laughs) But do we really want to see the truth about ourselves? This book, Manashiksha, or Splendid Instructions to the Mind, is important for two reasons, at least. The first reason is that one of our great teachers, Bhaktivinoda, called this book a parati. Para means step, and hati means progress. So this particular book takes you step by step how to progress towards full enlightenment. What's very amazing about this book is that it really takes you on an inner journey of changing your consciousness and your mentality. For those of you familiar with our tradition, Bhaktivinoda says that Rupa Goswami tells us what to do to make spiritual progress, but in this book, Raghunath Das Goswami tells us how to make progress. Are you having a problem with the sound? We have a problem with the sound here. For translation. Can that be fixed? You really want this book. Okay, wow. 
Now we have only two copies. They are also available on Amazon, uh, and Amazon also has an electron. We also have electronic version on Amazon. Are we have we fixed our sound problem? Or are we still working on that? Not quite yet. It's okay now? Good? Try it? Is it good? Good? Yes? Oh, very good. Okay. I know myself, I had been looking for some time for a guide that took me on the inner journey of spiritual life. Some, some kind of guidebook that would tell me what should I expect in terms of my consciousness and my mentality at each step in the progress. Now, many of you may know that this is the 50th year of ISKCON. Of course, the tradition that we represent is far older than that, and the truths that we teach are eternal. But as far as our particular organization, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, this is our 50th year. And another very important thing about this book, Manashiksha, is it establishes that this Hare Krishna movement is indeed teaching the ancient system of developing deep love for the Lord in his form of Krishna. This photo here is of the guru of our founder. This is Bhakti Siddhanta, who is the guru of as Srila Prabhupada, and this book very much establishes that Bhakti Sananta and his followers, like Srila Prabhupada, are teaching something that is bona fide and correct, authentic and effective. Now, it's interesting that Manashiksha starts out by asking us to have affection and passion. The Sanskrit words used are words like rati and raga. And that's particularly fascinating because, as I'm sure most of you know, spiritual life is about eliminating passion. It's about eliminating attachment. So when we read the Bhagavad Gita, a lot of the Bhagavad Gita will say things like, one should be equipoised in happiness and distress, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy, success and failure, heat and cold, and so forth. One should be equal to friends, enemies, the neutral. One should be unaffected by everything in the world, not rejoicing upon achieving something pleasant or lamenting upon receiving something unpleasant. In fact, Krishna says that he's the strength of the strong, free from attachment and passion. And yet, and yet, if we want to attain Krishna, the very first step is affection and passion. How fascinating is that? What does that mean exactly? It is a different kind of attachment. 
the kind of attachment and passion and intensity that one needs in order to attain Krishna is very different from the kind of attachment and passion that we are to reject in the world. Such is nicely explained in the Bhagavad Gita, particularly in the 15th chapter, when the Lord compares the world to a tree that is upside down. So you may say, well, I don't see upside down trees. But indeed, we do. Uh, Recently in traveling, we were on a train. I'm traveling with one of my granddaughters. And as we were traveling, we were going past rivers and lakes that were very reflective. They were very still. And the trees and the mountains and everything was reflected in the water. When I was growing up, my parents had a painting on our wall uh, like this. Not a, This is a photograph. They had a painting of trees reflected in the water. So when the tree is reflected in the water, the bottom becomes the top and the top becomes the bottom. And the reflection itself shimmers. So Krishna compares this material world to an upside-down tree. What is very bad here may be very good in reality. And what is very good here may be very bad in reality. And what we see here is a shimmering reflection of the reality. Of course, Plato talked about this also. He talked about a cave, right? Where in the cave you just see shadows of what exists outside of the cave. So although we are to reject material attachment and passion, In bhakti yoga, we have a very interesting process. We reject material attachment and passion by accepting spiritual attachment and passion. In other forms of yoga, they simply reject. And you're left with status, peace, equanimity, balance, and harmony. It is said that if you can get the mind to be still, you will experience a state of happiness. But that's passive happiness. Uh, One Buddhist teacher calls it non-energetic happiness. Just stillness. So in bhakti yoga, we recognize that we, the soul, are not going to be satisfied simply with stillness. We want something beyond that. We want activity. We want relationships. We want variety. We want mystery. And we want all of these things because they exist in reality. So our cure for the material attachments that bring us so much frustration is to have spiritual attachments. Now, we should define material attachments doesn't mean just things. When we talk about materialism, people tend to think that means a car or shoes or something like that. They tend to think if you're really spiritual, then you just, you know, maybe you're just naked walking around. Uh, You don't have any things. (laughs) But really what material means is having your own self as the center of the universe thinking I am the center of the universe, everything is meant to please me, and whatever other people or animals
animals or things or activities there are in this world are meant for my pleasure. And I will find happiness through my connection with those things. That's a good definition of materialism. So that kind of attachment brings suffering, that I am the center of the universe, because I'm not the center of the universe. And so if one thinks that one is something that one is not, one will not be very happy. So spiritual attachment is in reality that one is attached to the fact that Krishna is at the center of the universe and one gets pleasure by connecting with Krishna as the center of everything rather than trying to have things connect with ourself independently. So in Manashiksha, Raghunath Goswami gives us a list of where we should put our attachment. He says one should put one's attachment to one's teachers. We shouldn't see teachers of spirituality as simply saints. We should see them as our friends and well-wishers. We should have a feeling of friendship and love for our teachers. Now, this doesn't just mean uh, people like Jesus, people like Srila Prabhupada, Vyasadeva, but really anyone who helps us on the spiritual path. And in fact, an aware person feels that everything in nature is their teacher. The, the ocean teaches us to stay within our limits, even no matter how many rivers are coming in. Uh, everything in nature teaches us something. And we should have great affection and regard and friendship for our teachers. Then we should have great affection and regard uh, for all spiritually minded persons. And I think it's quite interesting in Manashiksha that we are told that regardless of a person's tradition, if they are serious on the spiritual path, we should have not just respect for them, but actually love for them. So as we know, so many difficulties in the world are caused by people thinking in terms of us and them. Right? We think of it on a national level. This is my country, and that's your country, and if you are not from the same country, you must be my enemy. We think of it in terms of religion. This is my religion. That's your religion. Even sometimes parts of the religion. Right? The Catholics and the Protestants will try to kill each other. And the Sunnis and the Shiite Muslims will try to kill each other. <laughs> so, Raghunath uh, Goswami is saying, if we're going to have spiritual attachment then anyone who's serious about spirituality, we should love. Anyone who loves Krishna should love anyone who loves Krishna. Then we should have great love for our prayers and our mantras, our spiritual songs, the sounds that connect us with the Lord. So, of course, here in the Hare Krishna movement, we are chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, those of us who are initiated also chant the Gayatri mantras. And in every spiritual tradition, there's so many hymns and songs and prayers to connect us with the Lord. And Raghunath Das Goswami says, don't sing these or chant these or meditate on these as some kind of ritual. Don't take them as just some sort of formula, but really love them. The name of the Lord and the Lord are the same. 
And the mantras that connect us with the Lord are full of spiritual power. They're bridges that connect us from our material consciousness to the spiritual consciousness. And therefore, when we say them, when we meditate on them, it should be with at least as much attachment as anyone has for anything or anyone in this world. Then we are also directed to have great love for spiritual places. So, of course, there are holy places in India and other parts of the world. Uh, But also here's a holy place in Ljubljana where one can connect with the divine. And we can establish holy places even in our own home. Just on a shelf, a piece of furniture, one can set up an altar and establish a sacred place. So what exactly do we mean by a sacred place? The word for a holy place in Sanskrit is tirtha. Does anyone know the definition of the word tirtha? You're very close. Very close. Am I going slowly enough for you, by the way? Is it okay? Could it be better? Or is it? Okay. Okay, Tirta is kind of like a border, but like a little one step more. Anyone, any idea what the word Tirta means? Yes. Well, it does include shelter, but it's closer to the idea of a border. Excuse me? A source? Well, again, it is a source, but that's not the literal meaning of the word. Yes, yes, a stepping point from this world to the next. It's like a bridge. So that's why it's related to a border. It's very much like a bridge or like a place in a river where the land comes almost together. So that's what a tirta is. A tirta is a place where you can make a connection. Just like in modern society, you try to find a hot spot for your Wi-Fi. You understand? A place where you can make a connection. Some place where you have lots of bars on your phone. Oh, here's a place where I can connect. So a tirta is where we can connect between the material and the spiritual. Of course, in one sense, in one sense, because God is everywhere and everything is connected with him, we can connect with him anywhere. And if we are in proper spiritual consciousness, this is really interesting, if we are in proper spiritual consciousness, we become a tirta ourselves. So if we're in the proper consciousness, Anyone who comes around us can connect with the spirit. There are also particular places, geographical places on earth, where there's this bridge to the spiritual. And what's interesting is you can also create such a place. You can create this tirta or this bridge. We've created it here. You can also create this in your home. So Raghunath Goswami is saying one should have love for such places. They are very valuable which means that when we come to a temple like this, we shouldn't come just to get, you know, a nice vegetarian meal, but we should come and offer some service. Now, 
In addition to having love and attachment, Raghunath Das Goswami also tells us that there's another important ingredient in spiritual life. Because many people can say, well, I have love. I love God. I love my teachers. I love sacred places. I love sacred sounds. I love. And that's enough. And many people think that indeed that is enough. Right? So just like we meet many people from a Hindu background who'll say, oh, yes, I love Jesus. I love Krishna. You know, many Christians, I love Jesus. And they think that that's the end of their spiritual life. And Raghunath Swami says, no, you need more than that. He says, you also need to make an effort. He said, don't just think that spiritual life is luck. Maybe I'll become enlightened. Maybe I won't just by chance. Maybe I'll be walking down the street. Poof! It'll be my luck to be enlightened. No, one also has to make an effort. One has to take up a spiritual process. So, like here we teach a specific spiritual process. Okay, well that must be enough. One has love and one also takes up a process of spirituality. In fact, uh, Srila Prabhupada translated bhakti yoga as devotional service and that seems to cover both things. Okay, you have the devotion and you have the practical service. So that should be enough. What do you think? You think that's enough? What do you think? Do you think that's enough? No, you're right, it's not. Okay, one also needs something very peculiar called humility. So in Manashiksha, Raghunath Das Goswami says in Sanskrit, Sada Dhamvan Hitva, always give up pride. So why do we have to give up pride? Really, if you have pride, there's no question of also having genuine love. Because when we have pride, we have a feeling that we deserve things. I am so great, therefore I deserve things. And when we think that we deserve things, we are not able to appreciate anything that we think we deserve. Does this make sense to everybody? If I think I deserve to have a husband who makes money, then when he makes money, I don't appreciate it because I think, well, that's just his job. If I think as the husband I deserve to have a wife who cooks a 20-course meal every night, then if she does that, I won't appreciate it because I'll think, well, that's what I deserve. Does this make sense to everybody? I'm sure we've all been unappreciated. Right? Uh, We've done a lot. We've sacrificed a lot. But the person for whom we've sacrificed, some doesn't even see what we've done because they think, I deserve. So to always give up pride. Another reason to always give up pride is that when we're proud, we can't learn anything because we think we already know everything. Have you ever met people like that? You tried to tell them something and they're... You don't have to tell me anything. I already know everything. So always give up pride. All right, this is the beginning of the spiritual path. To have love and attachment for our teachers, for the sacred places, for the means of connecting 
through song and prayer and mantra for all other spiritually minded people to make an effort, not just depend on luck, and also to be humble. Well, is that it? Hmm. We may think we're starting out with humility, but Raghunath Goswami says there's four things you have to be careful about. The first is, what do we talk about? Srila Prabhupada says, a well-dressed fool is not recognized until the person speaks. Our speech reveals who we are. We can say, I have love for spiritual persons and spiritual places and my teachers and God and, and I'm humble and I make an effort. But what do we talk about? What do we post on social media? What do we listen to? Do you know what the beginning of the material world is? Anyone know how the whole material creation starts? With sound. What was that first sound? Do you all know? Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. What was that first sound? Can we say it together? Um. That was really nice. Do you know that everything is made of sound? Even like this piece of matter. You know, the scientists say that this is mostly empty space. You know that, yes? And the, the atoms are there, the electrons are moving. And if there's movement, there must be sound. Srila Prabhupada says that the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. So everything is made of sound, ultimately. And our bodies, our minds, our life is all created by sound. What we speak, what we write, what we hear, reveals who we really are and creates our future. Raghunath Goswami uses a very strong metaphor. He says, if you talk about things that are damaging to your spiritual life, it's as if you are associating with a prostitute. Now, the prostitute may look very pretty and uh, seem to be giving you love. But what, is she, what does she really want? What does she want? Your money. It may look to us like the things we talk about and write about and read are going to bring us so much happiness. But if they are opposed to the spiritual, we will wake up spiritually poor. Just like a prostitute can take someone's money, their health, their family, their job, their reputation. So the ordinary sounds of the world, the sounds of, yes, you can be happy here by giving your body some pleasure, that will take away our spiritual wealth. And although we would probably never actually consort with the prostitute, by engaging in these sounds, Raghunath Goswami says, that is what we are doing. Really interesting, he says, don't engage in the sounds 
of liberation. He said talking about liberation is like a tigress that will eat your very self. Don't talk about liberation. Well, I thought that was the whole idea of enlightenment, that one becomes liberated. Well, of course, when we love Krishna, liberation is included because love of Krishna happens on the platform of freedom. But just talking about liberation is really the antithesis or the opposite of love. If I love somebody, I voluntarily, freely bind myself to that person. Those of you who are married, if your spouse were to come to you this evening and say, okay, you're free to go, hopefully you wouldn't be very happy. Hopefully. When we love someone, we bind ourselves to them. If we really love God, then our interest is in love of God, not simply in personal freedom separate from love. Also, this is a little deep and perhaps a little difficult to accept. But the reason that we are bound in this world, the reason we are bound to a body and that we are bound to material needs and desires uh, is due to our own bad karma. Just talking about liberation is often a desire to become free from the results of our own sinful activities. However, if we've done sinful activities, the best mentality is to be willing to suffer through the results of our sins and to develop love while we are waiting for them to finish. A a very simple example I had done. There was one uh, lady some years ago who was dealing with me in ways that were not very nice. And over a period of a couple years, I kept saying to her, uh, you know, please don't deal with me like this. And after a couple years, I finally said, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think that I can really have anything to do with you anymore. You just, you just don't have any respect for the way that I want to work with you. I said, please don't contact me for at least a year. I said, at the end of a year, if you think that you've been able to understand what the problem is, then I'd be willing to talk to you again. So after one month, she contacted me and said, okay, I know what the problem is. And I said, you know, if you really knew what the problem was, you'd be willing to wait for a year. So it's very much like this. If somebody has offended me, have we all had someone who's offended us? Yes? We get to say... We get to say when we're going to have the relationship back if we're the victim, correct? Is that correct? They don't get to demand. So our being in this world is a result of our own bad karma. Therefore, rather than concentrating on getting free from our karma, we should be concentrating on restoring our relationship with the Lord and waiting on whenever he wants to release us from the results of our past karma. So how does one get free of this prostitute and tiger, this materialistic sound and this focusing on our own liberation? Raghunath Das Goswami says we need to get a jewel. Now some of you may be aware that jewels can be very powerful. There are certain jewels that can change your consciousness and heal your body. So he's saying that we should always have this, this jewel. And the jewel that he says to have 
is a jewel of spiritual love, particularly the love seen in Vrindavan as exemplified by Radha and Krishna. So, by the way, this is one of the paintings for our book. In this, in this edition, we commissioned 12 new oil paintings and 120 new black and white drawings. So this is one of our paintings. We also have prints of these for sale on radharani.com, and the money from that goes to our doing daily cleaning, uh, restoration, and feeding of the widows at Govardhan and Radhakund in India. So this jewel of love is this mood of giving. The spiritual love is simply the pleasure in giving to the one that one loves. We have some idea of that principle in this world, that we enjoy giving a gift to somebody often more than spending the same money on ourselves. We can enjoy cooking for someone else more than cooking for ourselves. Everyone has this experience that we can become happier by giving than by taking. So to get this jewel of this mood of giving to the Lord, just as is done in his own spiritual kingdom of Vrindavan, and having this jewel allows us so much pleasure, so much satisfaction, that we have no more interest in the prostitute and the tigress. So I think many people on the spiritual path think that this is the end of the road. Uh, They have love for the Lord and the uh, spiritual people, the holy places. Uh, They engage in a spiritual process, have humility, and are full of spiritual sound. What do you think? You think that's the last step? No. Okay. Next he said we should be careful about what we do. We should be careful about what we do. So in this world, Krishna says there are three kinds of action. This is the Sanskrit from Bhagavad Gita 4.17. So there's karma, vikarma, and akarma. Karma means Material things that are pious, material things that are good. Vikarma means material things that are evil. And akarma means action that's not material at all. So Raghunath Das Goswami says, you need to get rid of any actions that are either good or bad. You say, well, everything's either good or bad, right? How could you not do anything that's good and not do anything that's bad? But he's asking us to get rid of a certain mentality. Often when we do good things, it's because we're thinking, I am a very good person. I do the right thing. I am honest. I am responsible. I am caring. I am a good person. And many times when we do bad things, we're thinking, "Ah, (laughs) I can get away with bad stuff. I'm special. I can break the rules. I don't get caught. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) I don't have to do what all those other people have to do because I am special. (laughs) So both of those ways of thinking, right? I am a very good person and I am really special that I can break the rules. Those need to be given up because both of those 
entangle us in the law of karma. They entangle us in thinking we're this body and taking birth again and again in the world. So what do we do instead? Instead we do something I like to call the secret agent principle. So you can think of it this way. It's like becoming an employee in Krishna's company. So what do you think Krishna's company sells? What do you think is their product? Love. Love. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't you like to work for a company where the product was love? What do you think? Then everybody you interact with, they're either a co-worker in the love of God company or a supervisor. Maybe they're a supplier. Maybe they're a customer. Or maybe they're a potential customer. Maybe right now they shop in the illusion store. Now it may look like that person has a different relationship with you. It may look like that person is your mother or your husband or your boss at the bank. But that's just your cover. Just like the secret agent has a cover, right? You don't just go into Russia and say, Hi, I'm a secret agent for Slovenia. Right? You have a cover. So when we work for Krishna's company in this world, we have a cover. And that cover is, I work at the bank. I'm a student at the university. I'm this person's mother. But we don't act according to that identity. We don't act according to the identity that I am this person's mother or I work at the bank. We act according to the identity that I am Krishna's agent. And that way we give up karma and v-karma. However, working as Krishna's agent doesn't mean one should do things against the principles of spirituality. So Raghunath Das Goswami says, yes, you talk about spirituality, but what do you do? He says, if you're not careful about what you do, you may be being attacked by thieves on the shining path of spiritual love. I don't think in Slovenia you have highway bandits, do you? You don't have highway bandits. Used to be all over the world, still in some places. There's still in some places you're driving around and some thief will bring a gun and take your car. Happens in South Africa a lot. So these are thieves on the edge of the road. And they have ropes. Their ropes are made out of actions that are opposed to spirituality. So this is like if we say, I shouldn't watch that. And then we watch it. I shouldn't eat that. And then we eat it. I shouldn't do that. And then we do it. Arjuna talks about this problem. He says, why do I do things that I know are wrong? So at this state in the process, we may have spiritual sound and love and humility. We may be acting as Krishna's agent, but we're still doing things that we know are wrong. And these things that we know are wrong are like these ropes, and they have been tied around our necks. And these thieves there, they represent things like envy and greed. That they're pulling us around, kind of like a dog on a leash. (laughs) 
and they're pulling us around to do things that we don't even really want to do. So what is the cure? The cure for materialistic talk was a jewel of love. The cure for actions against our own principles is to remember about the crane. The crane stands on one leg with eyes closed like in deep meditation. Until along comes a fish. And then, and then again, meditation. Therefore, the crane represents hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing something else. So when Krishna incarnated on earth thousands of years ago, there was a shape-shifting wizard who took the form of a crane. And Krishna killed him. So one should cry out to the help from those people who are devotees of the killer of hypocrisy. In other words, those persons who are free from hypocrisy. This is another one of our paintings for the book. These are the police officers on the path. When we are on the revealed path, when we're attacked by these thieves of lust and greed and envy and anger and so forth, taking us around the neck and having us do things that we don't even want to do. We call for the help. Help! I'm being killed! With humility, we call for the help of the police officers. And when they come, immediately the thieves run away. Well, certainly many practitioners think that this is the end of the path. Love, humility, effort, spiritual sound, working as Krishna's agent, and only doing actions that are in line with spiritual principles. Does that seem like the end? What do you think? But a lot of people think that that's the end. Well, we're going to go a little deep here. Are you ready? Are you ready to go deep? Okay, this, it's going to be a little heavy. So I, I warned you. If, if you want to leave now, it's okay, because this is, this is going to get a little, a little intense. He says, all right, but what do you really want? You freed yourself from being a hypocrite to others. But what about deceiving yourself? While we're engaged in spiritual activities, what are we thinking about? Raghunathas Goswami says, if you're doing something spiritual, but you're thinking about materialism, It's as if you're bathing in the burning urine from a big donkey. He said, you may think by your spiritual activities, you're becoming purified. You're taking a bath. He said, but you'd better look up and see what your shower head is. Maybe it's the backside of a donkey. Maybe it's the blank of a blank. And when we're bathing in this donkey urine, we feel a burning in our heart. So if one is doing spiritual practices, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, but thinking, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, I want some money, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, that's a pretty girl, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, when will I get a new car? Then you're not becoming purified by your activities. 
It may look good on the outside, but in the inside you're going to feel burning as if you were taking a bath in donkey urine. If in the name of preaching about spirituality you just want to attract the opposite sex, any time where one is seemingly engaging in spiritual activities, but actually there's another motive and there's something else going on in the heart. He says, you know, it may seem that all the thieves are dead by the side of the road and you may think you've conquered all your bad habits. But until one changes what's going on in the heart, one will feel simply burning. Now, it's interesting, those who are bathing in this donkey urine, uh, because they're doing spiritual practices, but internally they, haven't, they don't have the right consciousness and they feel this burning inside. Sometimes they think, well, spiritual life doesn't work. Or they may be very angry and they blame others. They may say, well, the reason that I'm not making advancement is it's all my husband's fault or my wife's fault or my child's fault. I had someone write me an email and blaming his one-year-old child for the fact that he wasn't making spiritual progress. That's bathing in donkey urine. So Raghunath Swami says the cure is one should instead bathe in an ocean of love. And again, he takes us to this mood of Rindavan. He said, one should bathe in the water of love at the feet of Gantarvika and Giridhari. And this is uh, our oil painting for this uh, verse. So Gantarvika means the artistic singer and Giridhari means he who holds a mountain. So what does this mean practically? It means that as we do our spiritual activities, we should be surrounding ourselves with the mood of doing them just for the pleasure of Krishna. Just for the pleasure of Krishna. Not to make money, not to impress somebody, uh, but simply to please Krishna. So one who comes to this point of the path is certainly rare in this world. Someone who has love for spiritual persons, for the practices of, of chanting and hearing, for the holy places, who has humility and effort, who doesn't think himself a good person or bad person in this world, but is Krishna's agent, surrounded with spiritual sound, walking their talk, and swimming in an ocean of divine love, doing everything for the pleasure of Krishna. But Raghunath Das Goswami says, you still have another problem. Sorry, I, I did warn you, didn't I? Yes. He said, at this point, holding this jewel of love with the police officers, swimming in an ocean of love, you may think, yes, I am so spiritual. Woo! I'm swimming in an ocean of love and I'm protected by the police officers and I have a jewel of love. And there's this party going on all the time in my heart. And Raghunath Das Goswami says, um, who's at your party? And what are they serving for dinner? You might find, looking in your heart, that what's being served is a dead dog. People do eat dogs. So I suppose you could say they're a kind of food. 
but they're not a very nice food. So this dog is fame and honor. Fame and honor. Now, we have no problem with dead dogs. We only have a problem with wanting to eat them. So the desire for this fame and honor, Raghunath Das Goswami says, is a wild, disloyal woman. At this point in the spiritual process, what do you think a person wants to be famous for? Any idea? Huh? They want to be, they want attention, but what do they want to be honored for? Being a great devotee, correct. They want everyone to recognize they're a great devotee. In this particular verse in Manashiksha, Raghunath Das Goswami uses a word, sadhu prema. Instead of prema, the usual word for love, he uses a feminine form, prema. And he says, the ladies of genuine spiritual love will not come into a heart where there is a dead dog and this other disloyal woman. And you see the nice ladies in the back will not come in. It's something like if you're a very high-class person and you go to a store at the mall where there's something you want to buy, but the store is playing very horrible music, you may not go in. You've had this experience? You go to a store, you see in the window, oh, I, I think I might like that. And you walk in the store and the music is jarring and you, you, you walk out. So these ladies of love, they won't enter this heart. So why is this woman disloyal? Because when we want praise and honor, we will not stay in a situation where we are being corrected. Right? I'll be your friend as long as you say nice things about me. And if you correct me, then I'll leave. You understand? Yes? Have you known people like this? They were your friends until you said something, uh, I think you need to fix that, and then they weren't your friends anymore? So therefore, this desire for to eat a dead dog of fame, it produces disloyalty. Now, Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote Bengali songs for each of these verses. In this book is the first time these have been uh, published in English. And in his songs, he says that this woman has a boyfriend. Her, his name is Pretending. Because when we want honor, we will not be honest. When we want to be honored, we will always pretend that we are a little or a lot better than we really are. And Bhaktivinoda in his commentary says that this desire to be honored is the root of all the pretense and inauthenticity in our lives. Remember, we started out talking about being authentic. The problem is this desire to be honored. Now, of course, it's interesting on the spiritual platform, just like the devotee has spiritual attachment. So the devotee also wants Krishna to recognize his or her service. In fact, Srila Prabhupada says, if you don't want to be recognized by Krishna, your life is condemned. One should want the Lord to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But one should not want to be honored in this world for things that are not even ours. Is this body mine? It can be taken away at any moment without my permission. The same for my money, my intelligence. Isn't that a fact? 
all of the things that we are proud of, can we hold on to them? No. That means they're not mine. If someone else can just take them like that without my permission, they must not be mine. Therefore, if I want to be honored for them, that is false. And therefore, in that mood of falsity, my relationships with other people, with animals, with things, with the earth, are also based on falsity. If I want to be recognized by Krishna, by the Supreme, in a mood of love, that is real. We are all important to Krishna. Just like every child is important, or mostly every child, is important to their mother. To the mother, the baby is so important. But in the universe, how important is that one person? Not very much. Does that make sense to anybody? If we're trying to be important on a material level, then it just brings us to pretentiousness and falsity. If we want to be important simply because God loves us, uh, then that is on the platform of reality. The cure for this desire to be honored is to honor those who are fully absorbed in only wanting to be recognized by the Lord. The great generals in the Lord's army. When we serve them, they drive away this disloyal woman, her boyfriend of pretending, and the dead dog out of the heart then we are able to receive help from these great souls. Instead of wanting to be honored and served, we then want to serve. And we find such happiness in serving those who are beyond honor, who are beyond the interest of honor, that we also give up this desire in our own heart. And then the ladies of pure love enter into the beautiful city of our heart. What do you say? Would that be nice? Yeah. This is another one of our paintings for this book. At this point, my dear friends, one has entered into the door of spiritual perfection and enlightenment. One is now fully give up, given up material pride. One is actually authentic. And one can say to the Lord, Oh, I am not such a great person. I'm not a great saint. I am simply a wretched cheater. My heart is so dirty. But you, by your mercy, you can plant a garden in the dirt of my heart. You can give me beauty and purity within. Please give me glowing nectar to drink, the glowing nectar of spiritual service which fills all of me with enlightenment and allows me to realize who I really am, who is, what is my real identity as a spiritual being. From that one glowing nectar that fills us with realization and knowledge and beauty and peace, we then come to drink five nectars. Raghunath Swami says we should drink these five nectars every day. Worship, glorification, meditation, hearing divine pastimes, 
and offering obeisances, worship, glorification, meditation, hearing divine pastimes, and offering obeisances, worship, glorification, meditation, hearing divine pastimes, and offering obeisances, worship, glorification, meditation, hearing divine pastimes, and offering obeisances. He says, do these every day, and don't do them as a ritual. Do them as if you're drinking something that was nectar. In his commentary, Bhaktivinoda talks about what do we mean by meditation. He says, meditation talks starts with hearing. Just like you get some milk and you put it in a pot. Then it progresses to accepting what you're hearing, as if you turned on a fire under your pot. Then it progresses to really making an effort for meditation, as if your milk starts to cook. The first stage of that meditation is going to be interrupted. You stir the milk, and then you start your soup, and then you stir the milk, and then you work on your rice, and then you stir the milk, and you answer your phone, and then it progresses to uninterrupted. Well, your meditation is like you're stirring that milk all the time. And then it progresses to your milk gets thick. Your meditation becomes concentrated. Then your meditation expands beyond your meditation time into your life. Oh, and then your meditation is what we call samadhi, full focus of the mind. At that point, the Lord is attracted. And then he appears in the mind as spiritual samadhi. And the whole spiritual world manifests in one's heart. And the last stage of meditation is just like Murphy, where the Lord uh, no longer is just in the heart in meditation, but one is seeing him face to face. So this is the meditation aspect of those five nectars. Oh, what was the five nectars that we should drink every day? Can you help me? What was it again? Worship, glorification, meditation, hearing divine pastimes, and offering obeisances. What is the perfection that we achieve at this end of the path? We enter into the divine abode of the Lord. This is another one of our oral paintings. Uh, we did paintings not only based on Raghunathasko Swami's verses, but also pulling from descriptions from many other scriptures and works of the great teachers. So this is a description based on the description of Nandagram from the book Ananda Vrindavan Champu of Kavi Karnapur. And our particular relationship with the Lord awakens. So in this painting, which we also have in the book, this is the awakening of our spiritual identity. Just the beginning where one sees the Lord from behind and the cows have dust so it's still a little hazy. And here are the chief uh, saints, the chief devotees in each of the major relationships with the Lord. Raghunathas Goswami ends by saying that anyone who sings these verses of his book, Manashiksha, in a sweet voice and tries to understand their meaning will attain the ultimate jewel of loving service for Krishna in the spiritual world. This is that last verse of the Manashiksha in Devanagari on a book like Raghunathas Goswami would have written on 
And those are the jewels of Krishna's earrings. Krishna likes to wear dolphins or sharks or makara earrings. So this was the Splendid Instructions to the Mind by Raghunath Swami with the commentary of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Also in this edition, we have commentary of Jai Dwaita Swami, uh, Shiva Ram Maharaj, Sachinandan Swami, uh, Bhaktivigyan Swami. I also wrote a little commentary. And uh, we also have a chapter that describes how this book establishes the movement of Srila Prabhupada and Bhaktisiddhanta as being bona fide. So thank you very much. I'm sorry we had a little bit of a late start uh, that the technology wasn't set up. Uh, it, it's late. Do we have time for questions or do we just end? Yes, we have time for questions. Okay, any questions? Yes. With what? Oh. Um, yes. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting. Altogether, I've analyzed that there's about 25 different ways of describing the steps of bhakti given by our acharyas, given by our teachers, and given in the scriptures. My own conclusion is that it's not a very good idea to try to say where do the descriptions here exactly correlate to the descriptions here. And the way that I look at it is, is like this. If we're going to discuss a child becoming an adult, we can talk about a child growing up physically. You can also talk about a child growing up intellectually or socially. And those aren't necessarily going to match. Does that make sense to you? So a certain stage of physical development will not necessarily match a certain stage of social development. And I see that these different descriptions of the path of bhakti are each looking at things from a different lens. Now, Shraddha Prema is, is pretty comprehensive, unlike some of the other ones, but it's still a different lens than Manashiksha is looking at. And therefore, I wouldn't make some sort of a one-to-one um, equivalency. And we don't find, for example, Bhaktivinoda in his commentary does not make that kind of equivalency. So I would really prefer not to. Yeah. But it's a, it was, I'm glad you asked the question. Yes, sir. Very nice. I really like that. Okay, let's go back and, and look at that again. So at this point, the, the plant is basically gone. Right? You've gotten rid of the prostitute of mundane talk, the tigress of the talk of liberation. The police officers are protecting you from gross forms of lust and anger and envy. And by swimming in the ocean of love, you're protected from the burning donkey urine. 